Yes. Okay, we are live on the air. <laughs> Chapter 44, page 564. And we we are um we are heading towards the end. Not that it's about finishing, but it but it a good sense of accomplishment. <laughs> good sense of accomplishment. Okay. Last week, let, let's recap a little bit. We're talking about kavana in mitzvot. Kavana in our relationship with God. The most important thing in our relationship with God and any relationship is the action. But in order for that action to be sustainable, in order for that action to be meaningful, there needs to be passion. And that's where we got into this whole discussion about the value of uh, passion, how to develop passion. We spoke a great deal about how to develop a sense of reverence, the various meditations. We spoke about two levels of reverence, revering um, God's God because we appreciate what he does and then appreciating who he is, a higher level of reverence. Last week, we spoke about two levels of love. Right, the higher level of love, Ahava Rabbah, the great love, which is bestowed upon man as a gift, not necessarily attainable or accepted uh, or, or something that's, that we necessarily aspire toward without first achieving the ahavat olam, the lower level of love, the worldly level of love. And we provided various meditations with which to think about to, uh, to inspire this level of love. Right, thinking about how God is relevant to the world, how God transcends the world, and how the world in God's presence is totally nothing, which makes it so meaningful. Because the only reason why we're meaningful to God is because he chose us to be meaningful. But on its own, that, right, we don't have a, that, that's the only thing that makes people meaningful. God needs you. He chose to need you. Otherwise, he doesn't really, you know, otherwise I don't have any in, inherent value other than my, my connection to God. It's a, it's a very powerful, deep uh, sense of connection. Okay. But let's get into our chapter here. When a relationship, you know, love comes with a it's, limitation. Its limitation is also its strength. Its weakness is its strength. And that is, it's personally meaningful. Love is personally meaningful, right? Take a look on page 564, the first bold paragraph. It's sort of the middle of the page. Now, each one of these two levels of love that we spoke about, which is the great love and the more achievable one, the worldly love discussed in chapter 43, are subdivided into many types and infinite levels each according to his own capabilities. Every, everybody's going to experience their love of God differently. Right? The way you feel you love God, the way I feel I love God, to the degree we each love God, the quality, the quantity, it's going to be different for each person. It's meaningful, right? Um, but... Is it emet? Is it true? In other words, it's subjective. 
not objective. Yeah. It's subjective. The advantage of subjective of a subjective relationship is it's meaningful. The disadvantage is, well, it's subjective, is it true, right? Contrast that to a relationship centered around action, right? You study Torah, you're studying the same Torah that your ancestors studied, right? When we pull out a Torah and we study, or we study the Tanya or, or any book in Torah, point is when we get the perspective of Judaism, we're understanding and we're, study, we're studying the same books that, you know, you study the Talmud, for example, you're studying the same thing that your grandfather studied, that your great-grandfather studied, that your great-great-grandfather studied, up until all this information was handed down to us at Sinai, right? It's unifying. Because Think about it. I want you to picture this for a moment. Think about the largest Talmudic or rabbinical academy. Right. I don't know if you've ever seen, if you've ever been to one or if you've ever seen images of one. Yeah. Um, think of a room with hundreds of people in pairs studying Torah. Right. Now, if you were to look inside the heart and mind of each person, what you would see is a thousand different people. Right. But if you were to look at not their heart and mind, but what they're doing, what they're studying. They're all one, they're all the same, right? Look at the tefillin they're wearing, the act that they're doing, they're all the same, they're all united. On a objective level, we're all the same. Subjectively, we're all different. Emotionally, even if we have the same quality of love, let's say the worldly love, but we're both going to experience it, all thousand people are going to experience it differently. But the actions that we're doing are incredibly unifying. So if you think about, think about it like this, another illustration. Can we put into words how much Moses loved God? How much Moses revered God? I mean, they spoke to face to face, right? I, I, it's not something we can fathom. So compare Moses' love of God, his reverence for God, his passion for God, to our passion to God, where we haven't spoke, we don't have that same uh, open relationship. We're not a prophet. I speak for myself. <laughs> Erase that from the record. <laughs> I want to. No. <laughs> I'm a prophet. <laughs> but, but, but so compare our love to God to Moses' love. God, they don't compare, right? Um, okay. I want to ask but, something for the yeah. for this, Moses' love for God. So he came down, but he must have had, it's a love, reverence, everything, but he must have had a component of trust as well in God. So where yeah. does that fit in with the love and the reverence? Because it, it's a good question. Even however much Moses saw, he never, he didn't see the whole thing. You can never, no mind can truly grasp the, the, the essence of God. Yeah. And that, that's why the Torah says, you know, when Moses said to God, show me your face. God said, no, I'll show you behind me. I'll show you my back. And that doesn't necessarily mean literally the back of God. He's not a person. But what God was saying is, even what I'm showing you, you're not getting the full thing. There's so much more. So, so he had to trust that, the, that, that it ex he existed and that he. And he There's had still an element of trust. Yeah. Even, even Moses could have faith. 
Yeah. Right. For us people, it's easy to have faith. <laughs> what option do we have? <laughs> yeah. But for Moses to have faith, was, you could argue was a big deal. Um, so if you compare our love to Moses's love for God, they're different, right? But compare Moses doing a mitzvah and we do that same mitzvah, it's exactly the same thing. When Moses studies Torah, maybe he'll understand it differently, but, but we're studying the same Torah. We're doing the same mitzvah. We're putting on the same tefillin. We're lighting the same Shabbat candles. We're making the same Kiddush Friday night. We're experience it differently. Right. We might, yeah, exactly. So the love, the experience is different, but the action is the same because it's a lot more objective. Mm -hmm. Right. So this yeah. is the limitation that um, love has. Each person experiences it differently, which means it's subjective. Whereas when it comes to action, it's object. Let's take a look at this inside. Page 565. Page 565, it's, it's the middle bold paragraph. So it's, it's, it's actually the middle of the page. It starts with, and that's why. And that's why reverence and love are referred to as the hidden things that are for God, our God. So since if a person reveres the blessed Holy One or loves him, no other person knows. It's not something that is revealed except to him and his creator, right? Love is between you and God. Nobody knows about it. And it's going to vary from person to person, right? Nobody knows what you're feeling. Nobody knows what you're thinking. Whereas Torah and mitzvahs, when it comes to observance and study, the revealed are, are referred to as the revealed things for us and our children to do. Because when a, it's something that you can observe. It's more objective. It's more concrete. Take a look at the last paragraph of the page, all the way on the bottom of 565. For when it comes to practically observing the Torah and mitzvahs, we all have one objective standard, right? And one Torah, one law. But that's not the case with reverence and love, which vary according to the knowledge of God found in a mind and heart, as explained above. So, so put it this way. Did you, did you pray today? Did you not pray today? It's a yes and no question, right? Mm -hmm. Did you put on fill-in or not? It's a yes and no question. Did you light Shabbat candles? Did you give charity? I'm giving examples, by the way. Did you celebrate Shabbat? It's a very much a yes or no question. Do you love God? It's not a yes or no question at least not in the same way, right? I do, but it's an up and down relationship. And today I love him more. Today I have a harder time loving him. It, it's not a yes or no question because it's emotional. Action is a lot more concrete. It's a lot more yes or no. Okay. We say, now the reason why we mention this, this is by way of introduction to introduce a third class of love which ironically is objective. There's a third class of love, which actually is objective. And we're actually gonna to discuss today, two more levels of love, which everybody can experience equally. Everybody, every Jew can experience this love in the same way. Take a look on 566, middle of the page. Right, But there is one different type of love which contains all the mutually exclusive qualities of great love and worldly love in all its type of levels, 
I'm going to skip down to two more paragraphs to the bottom, this, uh, to the next bold paragraph. This type of love is a gift from God because it's found equally in every soul of Israel as it's an inheritance from our patriarchs. It's a love not that you earn, right? Earned love is going to be, you know, when you, whenever you earn something, well, you're going to experience it according to how much effort you put in. But this type of love is actually not earned, it's inherited, which means we're all going to experience it equally. So it has the best of both worlds. It's personal, it's meaningful because it's an emotion. At the same time, it's objective and it's unifying, right? Love has the risk of being divisive because if you know you have your relationship with God, I have my relationship with God, they're very different. So now we're, we're on different pages. Whereas action is inclusive, is uniting. But this type of love can also be uniting as well because it's objective. Every Jew has it. Every Jew can experience it. What type of love are we referring to? Okay, so look on the page, look on the bottom of 566. And here's the answer. This type of love, it's the last bold paragraph. So far, we're with me. We're all on the, uh, on the boat in the ark. Yeah. Okay, yep. awesome. Um, okay, awesome. This type of love, I just realized that I have my computer here on the side. I don't know. Oh, no, my camera's on. Okay. I was thinking whoever watches this video is watching me from the side, but they're not. Okay. No, you switched Sorry. it off. You, okay, we switched it. Back. you didn't <laughs> want to confuse us. <laughs> right. I was confusing myself. I, it, you know, it's hard enough to see one of myself. To see two of myself is already overwhelming. <laughs> you know that guy, there was, he had two cameras on, so he sees himself on Zoom, two of themselves. Because Imagine himself. Double. There's four Joshes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's the bottom of 566. What is, let, let's understand what this love is. This type of love is... What the Zohar, one of the earliest works of Kabbalah, refers to in its commentary on the verse. So the verse says, the Torah says, My soul, Nefesh, I have desired you at night. In the morning, my spirit, my Ruach, longs for you. That's what it says in Isaiah. And here's what the Zohar comments. That you should love. This verse is referring to a love for the Blessed Holy One with the true love of the soul, which is a complete love a love of the nefesh and the ruach, just as they cling to the body and the body loves them, so must a person love the holy blessed one and cling to him. How much does your body love your soul? Well, Very much. It can't exist without it, right? Exactly. There's a codependency here. Your body needs your soul. Your body feels of a, a, a need for your soul, right? If you were to now, they have a tough, they have a love-hate relationship. That's the truth. The body and soul really have a, a love-hate relationship because the soul wants to connect to God, the body wants to indulge, and the soul's trying to elevate the body. The body's trying to drag down the soul, and there is this whole war. And we've discussed this war in the beginning of time okay but if you sit them down in the counseling room 
and everybody's being honest. The body loves the soul because the body needs the soul. It won't exist without it. Right? And that's the type of love that we have for God. Because just as the body can't exist without the soul, so it loves the soul, we can't exist without God. We love him. This is a powerful level of love. Um, and and it, this is something that we've inherited from Abraham. This is something we've inherited as Jews. We don't need to create this love. We just need to awaken this love. Take a look on 567. He provides for us a meditation. Okay. So when, when it comes time tonight, tomorrow morning, you're about to pray and you want to feel inspired before prayer. You'll open up to this paragraph and you can, you can um, absorb this meditation because this is important. It's the, uh, the, the first bold paragraph, middle of the page again on 567. I feel like everything's on the middle of the page. Um, <laughs> and this is the meditation we learn from the verse, my soul, I have desired you. Meaning to say, so here's what we need to tell ourselves. And I, we, we, we're going to try this. Since you are God, my soul and my true, since you are God, my soul and my true life, therefore I have desired you, meaning that I desire and crave for you like a person desires his own life and soul. And just like a person becomes aware of how much he loves his life when he's weak and exhausted, and he desires and craves that his energy and similar, uh, uh, should be turned, and similarly, when he goes to bed, he desires and yearns that his soul will be returned to him when he wakes up from his sleep. In the same way, I desire to draw inside me the blessed infinite light, the true source of life, right? So just like we are obsessed with existing, right? We really are obsessed with existing. We're obsessed with living, right? The whole world shut down because they're afraid of, because they valued life. They were afraid of not existing. We are in love with existing. We'll do anything to exist, right? Um, God forbid somebody who doesn't value their own existence, you know, we consider to them to be very unhealthy and, and we, we try to get them help. But a, a normal healthy person is obsessed with their existence. In that same way, when we realize what our true existence is, then who are we really obsessed with? God. Right. Right. So let, let's think about that for a moment. Let's try to meditate on that for a moment. I'm obsessed with existing, right? I love to exist. I want to live. I value my life. I'll do whatever I can to live. And I appreciate that even more so when, God forbid, I feel that that um, that, that comfort is being threatened. When I realize what my life truly is, what I essentially love is not just my life. What I essentially love is the giver of life, God. I, I, I think this is something powerful. I mean, I, you don't need me to tell you it's powerful to think about it because Tanya already said it. But what I'm saying is if we actually do this in the morning before we pray, you have your tefillin on or you have your, your prayer book open, you're about to pray, you're about to, to talk to God. 
And we think about this for a few moments, if not 20 seconds, 10 seconds, you don't even have to time it. But my point is it doesn't have to be long. It, it's going to unmask an experience that we never thought we could have had. An experience that has been bequeathed to us by our patriarchs and by, by you know, that's been part of our heritage. Any thoughts, comments? Yeah, um, but God will be there even if we don't exist. So exactly, He doesn't need so, us in, in, to exist. So we, we need don't him. have to worry. Exactly. <laughs> so. But but we do. But but human nature is to value is to be to value our existence, value exactly. our life. Yeah. Which means we value the giver of life. Quotable yeah. quote, if you value life, then you should value the giver of life. Yeah. So there are Jews who don't believe in God, or they don't know they believe in God, and but they yeah. still, they don't want to die. They still, in fact, they're unreasonably, they tend unreasonable measures to like wearing masks when you don't have to wear a mask or uh, they take unreasonable measures to try to prolong their life. Right. So they might be, they might not be realizing that there's the giver of life, not the life itself. He's saying you value life. Okay. So then what you really value is the giver. It, it, it what you're saying in other words, is this does require faith that, that there's a creator. Yeah. Or people are just, I don't know if it's so much faith, but they're, they're people try not to see and they don't see. People, I'm, I'm thinking specifically of somebody in my family who says he doesn't believe in God. And uh, well, you're, I, I'm just keep thinking he's right there. What, what do you mean you don't believe in him? I mean, I don't know what I don't know the nature of God, and I have lots of questions. But, but uh, how could you not even suspect there probably is a God? Right, right. I just don't understand it. I and I don't understand how, how, how could how could there only be what you see? <laughs> yeah, it's like there's a potential. I mean, they they value their life because they think there's nothing else afterwards. <laughs> right. They, as Manus Friedman would say, they value existence, not life, perhaps. That mm. makes mm. that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Right. Right. It it you know it takes a little bit of sensitivity to have faith. Because it, you know, I, everybody has a yetzer hara. You know, their negative inclination, their negative impulse, their animal soul that likes to tell us I'm too smart for there to be a god. A lot of them are scientists, <laughs> right? And as soon as we're too smart for to, as soon as we're too smart, um, you know, faith comes with responsibility. 
if I believe that God created me, well, then I need to take, I need to take it to the next step if I really want to be honest and believe that he needs me. Because mm -hmm. why did he create me? Well, if he needs me, then I got to get, I got to actually do something. It, uh, it takes a lot of work for someone to realize there is a God. I think it gets much easier after you do. But for someone who doesn't believe that there is a God, it takes, most people aren't willing to do the introspective work that you need to right. do. Right. The, the question is, do you want to believe in God, right? Do you, do you not believe in God because you don't want to? Or, you know, what, what, is the, what is the actual obstruction? Do you not want to believe in God? And therefore you don't believe? In other words, you know, and, and same thing with a believer. Do you believe in God because you want him? Or do you believe in God because he's real? Yeah. In other words, I also is, think is, a lot is, of people make this decision when they're like in their 20s. And they don't address, they don't address it again because it's too it's not interesting it uh, there's it's not going anywhere. There, there is a rabbi, there. right? There, there was a Hasidic leader. He was actually his name is Rabbi Levi Yitzchak from Bardichev, and he was actually a um, a colleague of the author of Tanya. They ended up they ended up becoming family. They became in laws. Their grandchildren married one another. And he was once approached by a religious atheist. What I say religious is because he would preach. And he would share his whole philosophy, how it makes no sense that there's a God and there can't be a God because of this and because of that. And so Rabbi Levi Yitzchak tells him, you know, we have a lot in common. He says, what are you talking about? Well, he says that God that you don't believe in, I also don't believe in him. <laughs> you know, we... We're talking, are we really talking about the same thing? Who is this God that I don't believe in? You know, the bearded man in the sky throwing lightning bolts? Okay, okay. I don't know if I believe in him either, you know? But, but, but your point is well taken. To love God, to, feel, to experience him, you have to believe in him. But faith is the core. And in, in Tanya, there's no methodology to prove he doesn't attempt at all in anywhere in the book to prove the existence of God. He's, we're coming in with the assumption that you do believe in God. You do believe that your existence matters, in other words. And maybe you're not sensitive to it, and which we've addressed in other chapters, such as 29. Or maybe we're not aware of it, which we've addressed in 18 and 19. But, it, but once you get past that, what it takes to love him is realizing that if you love your life, then you should love your, the giver of your life. And we do love our life. We do whatever it takes to live because we value it. Now, to what extent, when we think about this, and this, this is, by the way, not, um, this is not necessarily a one-time fix. Of, okay, change, you know, this is a, this takes work. We do this every morning, we pray, we develop more sensitivity, we do more mitzvahs, we get more involved, and slowly we become more sensitive. We open ourselves to these feelings, right? And eventually what's going to happen is, I'm in love with God to the point that I don't want to separate from him, right? 
I wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and say, I should study some Torah for a few minutes. Just a minute, just one minute. And in the just one minute, right? Right outside <laughs> the bathroom though, right? Just one minute. Let me, let me open the book, just read a couple of lines to absorb more of God's values because I just, I, I, you're feeling it, right? Take, take a look on 567 on the bottom, the last paragraph. To what extent are we going to experience this love? In particular, I'll express this love of God through studying Torah when I wake up from my sleep in the night. And this will attach me to God since the Torah and God are totally one. As it says in the Zohar. So all I got to do, not all I got to do, but when we, when we really um, start to integrate this love, love. That we all have within our uh, lives, you, you know, imagine like a newlywed couple who are working in the same um, office building, but they have their own offices, right? Okay, at home, they get home, they're going to see each other, but they'll take a few minutes here and there, right, to talk, to chat. They're excited, right? When we rekindle this relationship, we're going to want to take new a few minutes here and there, take opportunities to rekindle this relationship with God. Okay, I just woke up in the middle of the night to go to bathroom, but let me just read the Torah a little bit. Let me just get a few more lines. Let me understand something new. Let me understand something new about his mitzvahs, about his values. Okay. Um, now, there's actually an even deeper level of love. This is the third level of love that we've discussed. Right? Last week, we discussed two levels. This is a third level. And everybody can have it. It's an inheritance. All, it just takes awareness, a little bit of meditation. And I, I, this is the homework. Try this meditation. It's on 567, the first bold paragraph. For those listening, for those listening live here or not live, try this meditation. It's homework. And try it specifically before praying, before doing a mitzvah, before lighting the Shabbat candles, or before opening the sitter to pray. It, it's, it's powerful. It really is powerful. But now we're going to move on to an even greater, an even deeper level of love. Right, take a look on 568, right under section three, the last bold paragraph on the page. And a love greater and more expansive than this, which is also latent in every soul of Israel. So it's objective. Everybody has it. As an inherit because it's an inheritance from our our patriarchs, but still requires meditation to awaken it, is what the Zohar in what the section called Raya Mehemna refers to as love, like a son who exerts himself for his father and mother, whom he loves more than himself, more than his own nefesh and rach. The first level of love is I love my life, my existence. Well, then I love the provider of my existence. The second level of love is I love God even more than I love my existence. Right? A parent, a, a, a child who has a very healthy relationship um, with, their, with their parents will, will, will run themselves to the ground to do whatever they can. Right? In a sense, they'll express that love to their parents feel the love more than they even love themselves or perhaps they're aware of the love for their parents more than they're aware for their uh, of their self-love right well let's realize then 
God is our parent. So I can love God not just because he's the provider of my life, but I even love him more than I love than my life. By the way, this love is very unifying because what does that mean? If God is a parent, right? And think about, by the way, children love their parents so much um, to the point that they literally are inseparable. Now, you, you, you know, there, there's situations where somebody might, God forbid, even be, have abusive parents. How many times do, unfortunately, children return to an abusive home? Willingfully. And I'm not saying that's a good thing necessarily. But what I'm saying is that relationship is so strong. It's obviously not manifested well. And perhaps it's not appropriate. But, but think about just conceptually the fact that the kid is returning. How strong is that connection? How strong is that love? Right? How much do we do for our parents or how much do we at least want to do within the, uh, you know, we're not always capable to do whatever, you know, depending on the circumstance, but how much do we want to do for our parents, even if it, or how much do we worry about our parents, even if it's going to run us to the ground? Well, how much do I love God who is my parent? This is a much deeper level of love. And it's a, it's a very unifying level of love. Earlier in the lesson today, we said that love can be, um, what was the word? Divisive. Divisive or divisive? Either one. Divisive. Okay. Then I'm going with divisive. <laughs> love could be divisive because the way you experience a relationship, the way I experience a relationship with God are going to be different. This level of love is actually uniting because we're siblings. I'm a child of God and therefore love him. You're a child of God and therefore love him. We're siblings. It's very uniting. Take a look on, what, on 569, the middle of the page, the middle bold paragraph. Since this love is a meditation about God as our father, it should be attainable by us all. For don't we all have one father? And by the way, we mentioned, we, we touched upon this in chapter 32 where we spoke about the paradigm shift from being body-oriented to soul-oriented. And when we're soul-oriented, because God is our parent, then we're all siblings. And now there's a, you know, bodies are divisive. We're two different people in the room, right? Souls are uniting. And when we become more soul-oriented with this love, because we're a parent, what God is our parent, there's a great level of unity. It, it, essentially, the unity with God and unity with people go hand in hand. Um, if a person is connected to God, but not connected to people, you, you may question their connection to God. Now. Yeah, I just want to ask something. Can, yeah, can you love? the love be translated to to doing an energy and the energy or the you know the, the energy that the soul has to 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 show love 100 100 it, it should it should so i mean if, all if, this all this love going around needs to translate in in our action. life into action uh -huh. exactly 
because, exactly, because I mean, there's no use of the love just being there without the 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 the, the show of love or the the the, the yeah the energy to 100%. do hundred percent. Otherwise, it becomes self-centered. Yeah, like a godly something that comes out of this love. A mitzvah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Right, love should love the the conclusion of love is not just I feel good. Otherwise, it's about me. It it should actually motivate something. And that's the whole purpose. The purpose is ultimately action. The love is what makes the action meaningful, personally meaningful. Um, how do I develop this love? So here's what he suggests. So we, we spoke about a meditation on 560, what was it, 567. But this level of love, here's how we draw it out because again it's an inheritance that was bequeathed by our patriarchs it exists it just needs to be awakened it needs to be drawn out and here's how we do it bottom of 570 namely by accustoming your mouth an audible vocalization that stimulates concentration of the mind and the heart to think deeply about the god sorry about the giver of life the blessed one that he uh, 571 that he quite literally is the true is our true father and the source of our life to stir up love for him like love which a child has for a father here here's the kicker here if you train yourself to do this consistently then habit will become second nature and you'll actually begin to feel selfless love regardless like a child to his or her parent fake it till you make it fake it till you become it we want to experience love for god so look at it this way. You come into the counseling room and you say, I don't feel love for God. I, I say counseling room facetiously. Um, you don't, I don't feel love for God. What do I do? So here's what the Tanya is going to tell you. I want you to imagine that you did love God. Imagine you were deeply in love for God. You were passionate about God. You felt your heart burning for God. You felt that you love him because he's your life. You felt that you love him because he's your parent, right? Imagine you did feel that. You don't right now. I get it. Imagine you did. What would you do? What would your next action be? What would that motivate? Whatever the answer is, do it. I want you to think about that question. Whatever the answer is, just do it. And the more we do it, action triggers passion. Especially if we have that intent. And, and this is what the Talmud actually said that, um, hundreds and centuries ago, that a person should always engage in service to God, Torah, Mitzvahs, even for the wrong reasons, because action triggers passion. It's going to lead to the right reasons. So that's the second meditation. The second meditation, and for those listening, again, this is our second piece of homework. So we have two meditations for homework. You can do them two separate days if you need. Our second meditation for homework, picture what the love, if you were to be in love with God, imagine what it would feel like. What would that motivate you to do? Do it. Okay. So we'll conclude here, but we're just going to quickly recap both meditations. 
Meditation number one is on 567. Think about how much you love your life. Everybody loves life. Well, if I love life, then I love the giver of life. Think about that. Meditation number two. If I was deeply in love with God, what would I do? Now, do it. Behave like you do love God. Pretend you love God. <laughs> because it's something that we have within us. It just needs to be drawn out. Okay, that's my story. And I am sticking to it.